Hello and welcome to the Innovation Room. My name is Daniel Guajardo and I am joined here by my co-host Tori Homan and along with a special guest today. Um, today we've got a good topic. We're going to be talking a lot about the Great Resignation and how it's been impacting employee retention across America and all the businesses that that entails. So today we'll discuss the Great Resignation, how it's impacting across the country, what businesses it's impacting, and then what they can do to better retain their employees, or maybe even find better talent. So I'd like to introduce you to the special guest who may look a little familiar as he's my brother. His name is Nicholas Guajardo. Hey, Nick, how you doing? Good, good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Do you want to uh, maybe tell us a little bit about your background and where you're on the show here today? Yeah, so my background started with uh, military service. I spent about eight years in the military, active duty. And then uh, after getting out of the military, I went and uh, pursued business. And I've been a business major since I got out. And I've been human resources for about six years now. And uh, continue to see how this pandemic has impacted everything because of um, my field of study. So it's been very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what industry currently are you in in human resources? So I'm currently in healthcare at this time. Okay. So, um, well, let's hop right into this first topic and we're just gonna kind of cover, you know, what the great resignation actually is. It's a term that's been used a lot, but with a lot of little explanation, I suppose. Uh, so it's gonna be, we're gonna talk about the labor market shift, how it dramatically shifted, um, the huge amounts of layoffs that we saw in 2020. And then all the employees that when we thought were gonna come back to work in 2021, kind of resigning and looking for other jobs. Um, between April and September, you know, we've had over 24 million people quit their jobs, and there's especially high turnover rates in the healthcare industry. So what mass waves of workers voluntarily leave their jobs, in your opinion? I think the biggest exit we've seen is due to, obviously, the high stress in healthcare. And then um, with people leaving healthcare, it creates even more stress because of short staffing, right? Mm -hmm. So we're constantly trying to bring people in before they are burnt out because of short staffing. And then with uh, challenges in the other competitors increasing their price rates, it's harder to compete with um, our lower level staff, like your nursing assistants, medical assistants, mental health technicians, whatever it may be. So you have uh, McDonald's down the road offering $18 an hour, and then some of these positions are paying similar rates with half the stress. So you have to find somebody that has a passion for healthcare in order to bring them into that field. And while the ones that we currently have are slowly getting burnt out because of staffing. So um, it's, it's been challenging. Yeah, almost, almost like a, a cycle in and of itself, right? Where the stress causes people to leave, but then it's more stressful and so more people leave. It's, yes. it's challenging. Yes. Yeah. And then that's not factoring the original stressors like that come along with healthcare. So in, especially in psych, you're dealing with uh, psychiatric patients on a daily basis. Um, it's very challenging work. It's not easy. So, and then you factor in the turnover and it just becomes a uh, snow, snowball effect, basically, yeah. So in the beginning of your, uh, your explanation there that, or your opinion on that, um, you said something about McDonald's going up to $18 an hour, which I've seen that as well, you know, all the fast food kind of places. Do you, I guess, do you know why maybe the healthcare industry hasn't done something similar yet? Or is it that they were already at such a, you know, a high dollar amount for salaries that they feel their people were being compensated fairly, where we can kind of clearly see fast food, a lot of people have thought for many years was not being compensated fairly. So you have to think about the income source, right? If you look at the insurance companies, you have people seeking health care, depending on either they're covered or they're not. And then mm -hmm. you have your um, charity work. So you bring these people in, you provide charity care, 
and then they're not compensated at that level, you know. And then the other ones that do have medical insurance, does it cover the whole amount? Are they having to track down payments? And it, it all factors into is the company going to remain profitable if they're paying competitive wages? Okay. So you could say maybe like one of the main reasons you think, at least specifically to healthcare, people are resigning and moving on to different places, um, stress and then the not fair wages or not high enough wages for the stress. Right, right. That's so the great resignation is about people measuring their worth, right? People are starting to say, you know, I'm more valuable than that. Um, and when they feel that they're not being compensated at that value and then they can make it somewhere else, then they leave the market. We have people leaving healthcare completely and going different directions at this point because they feel they're worth more, yeah. which they most likely are um, because of the nature of the industry, but they're not feeling that value, right? No one wants right. to feel like they're being taken advantage of, right? Mm -hmm. Definitely. So, not. Um, I think I feel like I've also heard quite, a, uh, or at least a little bit about. You know, there was obviously at the beginning of the pandemic, there was some uncertainty, right? Like, am I going to keep my job? And that wasn't necessarily an issue for healthcare workers, but maybe if, even if they wanted to move on to something else, maybe they were concerned that they couldn't find work somewhere else in 2020, let's say. So do you feel like you're, you've seen some like pent up resignations happening, um, pent up turnover that now we're seeing more of in 2021 and now into 2022, or is that not so true for healthcare? So I noticed uh, as 2021, you know, began, uh, competitors started to increase their rates because they were expecting this great return to the workforce after 2020, but we didn't happen to see that. So they had to do something to incentivize the return. So with that, you know, certain competitors that could afford to increase rates did while others refrained which um, hurt them in the market. And it also pushed people out of healthcare because some healthcare industries couldn't afford to increase those rates to a certain extent while remaining profitable. Makes me wonder if the ones that did could, or if they're just doing this as a ploy or a tactic to make sure that they weren't gonna go under and try to figure it out later. Uh, I know lots of people do that with like a loss leader type product where you'll lose on this to make up later. Maybe they thought it was worth it, but we won't see the fallout of that really until you know it could be a few years. I mean, it, it could be very possible, you know, you may see um, some hospitals being purchased by others because mm -hmm. they were able to remain competitive in the market. So it's hmm. only time will tell. So true. All right, so um, that's it for pretty much, you know, what the great resignation is. And I think uh, we can move on to our next topic. We're going to talk about, you know, like, what do these workers really value instead? So Nick, just like you were talking about, right, we're, we're seeing workers, they, they've shifted what they value in the workplace, they've shifted what they value um, in themselves. So, um, and there are so many things that could explain the great resignation, right? We could, we could talk about that all day long, but, but like you mentioned, the biggest thing, right, is this, is this value shift. So what do workers value more, or maybe even instead of, um, the traditional work environment versus what we're seeing now in this some, sometimes digital workplace and sometimes still in-person workplace. Right, so basically employers are gonna to have to shift their employee value proposition from pay rates, job titles, they're gonna to have to start focusing more on flexibility, um, willingness to work with workers, what they can do to um, you know, provide that type of environment because as other competitors see the opportunity to capitalize on it, like uh, these remote jobs, some people may really look forward to that as a flexible position. 
So if they don't follow suit, they're going to pull uh, different employees out of their market. So you may have a company in New York pulling employees from Texas. Now that employee is not going to be employed in that market. So they have to look for somebody else who may be less qualified. So the employer really has to consider what they're posting on their job description. What are they selling? Are they selling 401k? Are they saying benefit package? They need to think about rewording that and including uh, time flexibility, um, what roles they have and how they will work with the uh, new demand for this labor. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So it sounds like the even even something so specific and detailed as literally the way that you write your job description is critical to um, gaining employees. I know from a marketing perspective, from Dan and I's point of view, right? I see marketing job postings all the time and they ex they essentially want a superhuman <laughs> to do this job. And then they're saying, we're gonna pay you $10 an hour. And also we're not telling you, you know, we're not talking about benefits at all. And um, a few of the marketing groups I'm a part of online, they're just kind of bashing into these people for posting jobs like this, because who in their right mind would ever apply if they're not you know a marketing unicorn or something right right so, so you're going to have a couple people that will look for those jobs and they're the people that are trying to gain the experience you're going to have bachelor's levels uh employees that are in lower level positions but once they gain that experience i mean they're going to be right out that door looking for their next employer so um how do you retain mm -hmm. qualified employees in higher roles um without providing that pay you know, you can offer soft benefits. Um, one of the big ones that I've heard that have been advocated for is uh, pet insurance, right? So health insurance for your pet, um, you know, just other internal benefits. Uh, do you have a cafeteria on site? Is it at no cost to your employees? Um, what accommodations are you making for them? You know, what can you do to continue right. to employ these people? But uh, back up just for a sec, because we're gonna go on to more about, you know, uh, how businesses can boost the employer retention a little later. But um, I guess it's interesting to me how you were saying uh, the things that they have to offer, the things that people are looking for, the specific words they're using in their job postings. Uh, it sounds a lot like um, recruiting is almost sales now. So yeah, definitely. So you really have to focus on selling the job. It's not a HR perspective anymore when you say, okay, I'm gonna interview this person. I'm gonna be stern with them. I'm gonna give them these questions. Whenever I talk to somebody that I'm looking to recruit, I'm telling them about the facility. I'm selling them on the year the facility was built, the duck pond we have next door, the cafeteria we offer. So that's what I'm talking about, the internal benefits that people don't consider. So it is kind of a sales aspect. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because employees, they know that the market is in their favor at this point. So they're going to milk that for all that it's worth. And, that, and that's why we're seeing, you know, this, this such a drastic shift in the labor market. Um, but you, so you mentioned uh, remote, that remote work maybe isn't quite so much of a thing in the healthcare industry, but do you think you could comment on, on that, right? How does, a, how does a business still communicate value to an employee who is a remote worker? What, is, what, is a, what does a worker value about the remote environment? So that's a two-sided question, right? Um, so in healthcare, we have to have human contact, basically what it is, and especially with, um, so I'm currently working in psych. So in a psychiatric facility, we need to have people that are there for the patients to calm them down, to de-escalate them, to help them with their medication and things like that. Now, in a facility like that, it's, you can have remote employees, 
but it's going to be challenging because, for example, if they need leadership to respond to a psychiatric emergency, the leadership needs to be on site. So it's more challenging to have a remote leader in one of those roles. Certainly, certainly. I think what I've heard quite a bit and something that I myself as a remote worker really value uh, is just the flexibility of the remote environment, right? I set my own hours, I work, you know, exactly when I want to, and it just gives me some time to, to fit other things into my schedule that I wouldn't in a, in your standard nine to five. Have you seen that just generally in the, in the job market or even, even amongst some of your employees talking about the value of flexibility at all? Yeah. So with the remote concept, it depends on the person in my opinion. So if you're a very social person that seeks out um, communication face-to-face, -face, it might not be the best option for you. But if you also have a different approach, you know, then it, they could be very successful. I mean, you can set your own schedule and you may be even more productive in the evening hours. You're very productive. That's, that's true. I myself am a super social person. Dan, you can speak to this. I love to be around people and to be talking all the time. And so the re remote work, while it has been nice for purposes of flexibility, I do miss that in-person contact um, for sure. And even, even just the little distractions of like going to get coffee, you know, it gets you away from your desk for just a second. And so I feel this almost like really intense pressure to be productive constantly when I'm working remote because there is nothing to distract me. And so I feel like if I'm not being productive all the time, then I'm not doing my work well. So, and I don't know if maybe other people feel that way too. Um, Nick, do you do, are you remote at all or are you in person? So I'm, I'm usually in person with HR. It's yeah. always, uh, especially in the director level role, I have to address yeah. uh, employee concerns face-to-face. -face. Um, you, you have to be able yeah. to read the situation, body language, there's a lot that goes into it. But to add to your comment, I think um, in the future, we may see um, a mix between remote and face-to-face -to, -face to kind of accommodate that social interaction. I think that was probably going to be one of the best possible outcomes, except for the people that truly value just being completely remote. So it's very good insight. Definitely more of a hybrid workplace is kind of what we're looking at, yeah. um, for sure, for people like me and people who are maybe a little bit more productive in the remote environment. <laughs> yeah. So I guess uh, knowing that what employees value now, or at least thinking we have a better idea of what they really value, uh, a big question here, uh, and we're going to get into this with some more of the retention talk is, is it the responsibility of the employer to be meeting these needs now that the employers are so desperate for workers? Or are the workers kind of overplaying their hand? And this is like an economic situation where it has uh, dives and hills. And when it goes back the other way, the work, the employers aren't going to be so happy to uh, com accommodate the workers and all these crazy requests at that time. I do believe that's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. I've heard talk of 2024, but I don't know specifically when the, the tide is going to shift. It's really going to depend on when the workers are willing to come back to the workforce. So when we have more supply than demand, then the employers will gain the upper hand again. But at this time, we need to accommodate our workers to keep operations running. Otherwise, we risk um, losing the employees to other competitors in the area. Yeah. Right. So getting back to employee retention, 
Uh, what do you think it is that workers are going to expect from employers in 2022? In 2022, I think they're definitely going to look for more flexibility. And um, with that, I think they're going to have to do a culture shift. They need to shift the culture to accommodate uh, workers with this flexibility. Otherwise, they will run the risk of losing them to competitors. Now, I think culture is one of the most important things that they can do to uh, keep their employees retained. But with this great resignation, it's proven challenging to implement a strong culture. And whenever the culture is implemented, it stands for a strong five years. So you have to manage it actively. Otherwise, it could shift in a direction that you really don't want it to go. So what we do is we do leadership rounding on a daily basis. We have all of our leaders go throughout the facility and they communicate with the employees. And they also do um, certain checks to make sure everything's being done correctly. Um, from an HR perspective, I round probably every single day. I even come in on Saturday once in a while to make sure the employees are doing all right. And I try to answer any of the little questions. I think um, sometimes employees will tell us something is a problem and it may seem like a small problem to us, but it's actually bigger to them. And by addressing those small problems, they feel hurt. So okay. anytime somebody asks me a question about something that's really simple for me to solve, I try to solve it immediately and give them that result, that satisfaction. And I think that builds trust, uh, builds uh, communication throughout the culture. And then um, it, inadvertently, when people decide to leave, they'll at least come to me and be open and honest when they leave. So I'll get a solid exit interview. Okay. Well, so kind of a follow-up on that. Um, is there a specific way you do this to where, because... I guess I could see that as almost micromanaging as well. If someone's coming and asking me how I'm doing throughout the day, multiple times a day, like I know how to do my job. I prefer people not to bother me when I'm working, working, because it takes me out of uh, the zone, I guess is what I call it. And I need to stay there if I'm going to be really productive. So uh, do you do this in a way that makes it, you know, you said the employees, at least at your place, seem to really enjoy this so they can be heard. But how do you go about doing that without feeling overbearing, I guess? So it depends on your approach, right? Um, it depends on your persona and the way you talk to people. So for me, it's a very casual conversation. I say, you know, hi, how's it going? I don't go up to them and say, do you need anything? <laughs> I say, how are you doing today? Is there anything I can do for you? Um, you know, I, I'd love to help you out if you have something that's going on. And then that also gives me a chance to uh, talk to other employees that may come up when they hear me come up to them. And these other employees may have other concerns like, oh, I'm having uh, employee relation issues with this employee. And then it gives me a chance to investigate it before it becomes, you know, a bigger issue or possibly even a legal issue. It catches it in the early phases. Do but people use again, these terms in the day-to-day? -day? Does somebody actually come up to you and say, I'm having employee relation issues? No, not specifically. <laughs> right. They're going to say, hey, can I talk to you? This person has done something and they feel wrong. And then okay. I try to correct it. Whenever they at least get a chance to vent, they feel heard. And then it helps them get back into that place where they can be productive. And when it's patient care, you really need to have your mind focused on taking care of the patients. Exactly. Um, you can't be worried about, you know, an employee relation issue with another employee, a little bit of drama. And there's gossip in all workplaces. I get that. But um, when it becomes a real issue, it honestly gives me the opportunity to address it in the early phases. Now, if I stayed in my office, more or less, I wouldn't hear about these issues until they were in my office getting a final written or possibly termination. So it's yeah. just the HR approach. And I think it does help the culture though, because they yeah. give a chance, yeah. it gives them a chance to talk to leadership. You're yeah. being proactive so, too, instead of reacting to the situations. Right. right. Yep. Yeah. And, and you just, just building that relationship 
right? I, I feel like so many of our conversations on this podcast always come back to that. You have to build the relationship between the leadership and, um, and the other workers amongst the leadership, you know, amongst the, the peer right. group, right? Just it, that solves a multitude, a multitude of ills. But Nick, I, I did want to touch on um, something that you mentioned earlier in this um, section, just that, that flexibility piece again. So, so many of your workers are in person, are they still demanding flexibility, right? Not in the same way as so, a remote worker, but. In, right, right. In healthcare, we have this uh, terminology called per diem, which is basically an on-call employee. So this per diem employee could come in on the weekend and do a couple shifts, or they could come in with, if we have a staffing issue throughout the week, it gives them a chance to pick up hours without having that demand for them to be here, you know, 36 to 48 hours a week, because they're usually 12 hour shifts. So, yeah, I mean, it, it gives them that opportunity. So they want to be part of the organization. They want to be part of the mission. They want to help people with psychiatric problems, but they don't want to feel that they are on a schedule. So that's kind of how we have offered that work-life balance where I'm at. Okay. Probably a good policy for other um, businesses. You know, I can think specifically of like manufacturing, right? Not There's not always that same flexibility, but it seems like something that more industries that do require in-person work could could kind of implement to offer uh, to offer employees a little more flexibility with their scheduling and timing. That's it, really it does great it does team. need to be carefully managed though because you don't want to incentivize your full-time employees to want to go PR, PRN because you need a full-time staff uh, too. So yeah, it's okay. uh, it's a balancing act. Really As it is. always is, right? As it always is. <laughs> so we'll what? Oh, go ahead, Dan. Sorry. I do think we'll see that more and more in the future in different industries that it's not typical of. Um, gig work or consulting work is very typical in a lot of industries, but um, we all have different names. Obviously, you call it a per diem, right? Yeah. 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 So each industry has its own name, but each industry has that specific area where they, they need people just for a specific amount of time or a specific reason. And we've seen, you know, things escalate to huge levels when it comes to DoorDash and uh, Uber and all these that those are contractors or gig workers for the most part. And obviously they're not as highly technically skilled, but I think we're, that's where we're moving to is going to these uh, skilled positions and allowing this type of work to not only help bridge that gap for the employers, but to um, honestly help us bridge the gap for inflation at this point, but you know, just whatever it may be, Everybody has a side hustle these days, it seems like. Yeah. Nobody just works a job. <laughs> no, that's so true. And we're even seeing it uh, on the corporate level too, right? Where smaller businesses that maybe couldn't afford a full-time CEO are hiring someone with that skill set, but they only work, you know, 20 hours a week or less or something like that. So we're seeing it in all levels of management. Maybe yep. not, I don't know about healthcare, Nick. So that also benefits the employer, though, because mm -hmm. then you're not paying for the whole benefit package, right? Right. So you're not paying for the health insurance. Um, so a lot of employers will pay like 65 to 70 percent of the health insurance. Well, you know, if the employer has a per, per diem or a part time worker in that capacity, they're not covering that cost. So it's also it's very beneficial. This is why it's a solution. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There has to be a problem. There's a problem on or there's a need on both ends. And that, you know, that's anytime you have two needs or, you know, somebody who can mutually benefit each other, that's a real solution. It's not a 
fabricated solution to try to be thrown at a problem to see if it works. So this is this is good. I like this uh, new way of work, I suppose. <laughs> Dan's big into the remote work. He's thriving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he tells me about it often. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, then you can uh, eat your Cheetos and no one sees the crumbs on your shirt, right? <laughs> No, yes. Dan never has crumbs on his shirt. <laughs> well, the trick is I just have two shirts. Ooh, very crafty, very crafty. <laughs> so Nick, are there other changes that your workplace has made to accommodate this workshop? I know we've touched on quite a few of them, but I just want to make sure you have an opportunity to speak about everything. So I would say yes. We've done a lot more stuff internally as far as culture and engagement. Um, it seems like we're doing things two or three times a month that are culture creation. So um, as far as like setting up events for employees to do something outside of the workspace, uh, say in March or November, I did a foosball tournament, which uh, got people involved in a different setting, right? It took them out of the workspace where they're used to being, and it got them involved with people from different departments. Um, I've also had leadership and myself came together and we did something for Christmas. We did something for, um, we just did an employee uh, gratitude week where we brought around uh, ice cream floats. So um, it's thinking outside the box like that and um, bringing different ideas to the table to uh, show the employees that we are truly appreciative of them. I mean, they're truly serving the most underprivileged population. They serve people with psychiatric mental health issues. And um, I think our organization is one of the best at it because we tend to take a lot of people in that need that care that can't find it anywhere else. And um, they are really part of that bottom line mission of uh, making society a better place. And then, you know, eventually people will get back into the workforce and continue to improve our community. So we're definitely making headway in that. That's really awesome. That's really awesome. So just um, one last question for you, Nick. Um, to give you a little opportunity to vent, maybe. Uh, from your perspective, just what part of this has been the most difficult for you? Most the most difficult for me. So I would say definitely, are you talking about pre-pandemic or post-pandemic? <laughs> are we there yet, uh, right? <laughs> let, yeah, maybe let's say, let's say more in the current current, the current situation. Mm -hmm. The most difficult thing right now is getting qualified candidates to come in, right? So not only, like Dan said, it's more of a sales job than a HR job now, you know, because the employees hold the cards. So I'm selling these employees on uh, our mission and what we're doing, but I'm also telling them about the benefits internally. Now, even with me going through all this sales pitch to them, I still have people tell me, eh, I'll just go over to McDonald's, make 18. So that's challenging and it's frustrating because you're trying to sell them on a mission to help people and save lives. And they say, well, I'd rather go flip a burger. And it's, it's frustrating when you hear that. Because, um, I mean, a job isn't always about the money. Sometimes it's about uh, what you're really doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And uh, right. that's just, it's, it's difficult because it's frustrating. You know? Right, absolutely. And you, I know for myself, I want to feel fulfilled in my work. And may, I'm not judging, maybe some people do feel fulfilled flipping burgers at McDonald's. That it could be a thing. That probably wouldn't quite do it for me. Um, but but like you were saying, cultivating that culture and, and really sharing the mission 
and the vision of the organization to kind of speak to people's hearts a little bit um, sounds like a great way to to continue motivating people right and then all the other amenities the um, great benefits and um, having a boss that you really like to work for uh, you know great leadership all those things definitely contribute to the yeah. whole situation and, and i didn't mean to undermine anybody working in fast food i mean those <laughs> jobs are very needed and they have their place it, it's just very challenging right. when um you're trying to sell a mission on saving lives and then yeah. um, you have competitors that are just as competitive in the market but that's the reality of the new workforce and that's what we're going through. Like to me personally, that so many people went into the medical field and are qualified to be medical professionals, but don't care about, you know, saving people or helping people. They only did it for the money. And if they would rather just go work anywhere, uh, it doesn't have to be a fast food restaurant, retail places have up there, um, their pay as well, or, or, you know, online reselling, stuff like that. Like I went into my profession because of the passion for it. I, just love the uh, the study of human behavior in general, and marketing was the best way to align that with, you know, I like money and business. So, um, but to see people go in, do all this time, get all this education uh, in the healthcare industry, where most people we assume that they're very caring people, to just be like, no, I don't want to help these people. I just want to go make an extra two dollars. That seems very strange to me, and uh, maybe a, a larger issue, an underlining issue. <laughs> So it may seem foreign, but I would never say anybody that studied in those fields didn't want to help somebody. I would more or less say that the burnout that has become healthcare mm -hmm. is, is mental burnout, it's mental health, it's uh, physical health, it's just, it's taxing. These are 12 hour shifts and these people are on the floor and then they, you know, want a certain pay rate for the job they're doing and they're not receiving it. So, I mean, they may not be just going to you know, a fast food restaurant, they may be going into IT, there's other different departments, because I mean, these qualified health professionals, I'm not talking about like your lower level, I'm talking about registered nurses, therapists, a lot of people are leaving the industry. And they're not just, you know, because they don't want to help people. It's because that they are just uh, tired of the burnout of um, the short staffing, and things like that. And while employers are actively pursuing new candidates to address the issue, it's, um, the great resignation that's the time we're living uh, in. i'm not sure they got enough thanks either though they were the throughout the pandemic the number one people on the line that they risked their own lives their families' lives bringing stuff home and now we're saying we don't want to up your pay i'd be the same way I'd be like screw you i'm out of here i'll go work anywhere but here because my life isn't on the line my family's life isn't on the line and everybody's going to put those people first so maybe it is the employer that needs to really just step up in this instance. Your industry or your um, hospital is different as you didn't care for COVID patients and things like that. Correct. Yeah. But I, I've uh, even my own doctors talked to me about it a little bit and how uh, you know it's just everybody. What like the beginning of 2020 you saw videos where they're thanking the nurses and you know your heroes and mm -hmm. uh, that that went away very quickly in my opinion to where uh, we just kind of like we always do just forget about everything that they did for us and move on to with our lives but that could have yeah, something just, to do with it i'm just waiting for human resources to be put in the front line for all the hard work we've done <laughs> <laughs> i think that line's pretty long you might have to get in the back <laughs> all right well yeah. thanks for uh joining us here today nick tori did you have anything else that you wanted to wrap up here no just to say yeah nick thank you so much for spending your time with us today and it's really 
interesting to hear your your insight and perspective on this super super relevant topic of course my pleasure all right well thanks for listening everybody and joining us today and please remember to like and subscribe comment all that fun youtube stuff and uh we'll talk to you guys soon Thank you.